coronation yesterday? Anybody all watch it? No? no? <laughs> and it's quite divided. It's kind of 50-50 at the moment, isn't it? But uh, yeah, we do put on quite a pageantry uh, and show the rest of the world how good we are at that. Um, so, but, uh, so we've been covering finance, and um, I'm not talking about that. So you'll be, some of you will be pleased to hear. <laughs> not money again. So um, yeah, I'm going to be talking. The title of my message today is Eye of the Tiger, as you can tell. <laughs> you want to sing for us? <laughs> There's a couple of versions, the, the Katy Perry, Raw, and K Kenzie will be doing that later. <laughs> no? <laughs> Jared will be doing the Rocky theme. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> He's going, no, what are you talking about? So, no, you'll understand as the sermon goes on. So I'm going to start off with a story. Uh, for some of you, you may know that uh, myself and my kids, we do something called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Anybody know what that is? Okay, it's kind of like, uh, it came from Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, and it's a combination of Judo, wrestling, submission wrestling, things like that. And it came from Brazil, obviously. Um, a Gracie, it was a family called the Gracie Families, and that's kind of where the UFC started. And um, they kind of went, which is better, boxing versus wrestling, or karate versus taekwondo? And the first four UFC uh, competitions, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu kind of won and beat everything. So I thought, well, if you're going to do a martial art, do the one that beats everybody else. <laughs> so um, last week, Michaela is hiding somewhere. She's at the back. So we all, we all um, went to a competition last week, and Michaela actually competed again. And um, she actually lost her first fight to a very good opponent. Um, this opponent was like 14-0, and 0 and she was 2-0. And, 0 and uh, she's, this is her second time competing. But her next opponent... Um, she had this like fire in her eyes, this determination to kick some booty. And um, uh, her coach actually said uh, on Tuesday, he said, I've never seen the fire in your eyes to, to, to win so, something so badly. And um, even her, her training partner said, I was so glad I wasn't facing you. I was scared of you. <laughs> and that's basically what the eye of the target is. It's having that comeback attitude that... Um, some people believe it originates from Vietnam when the soldiers came back from, from being injured or prisoners of war, and they came back and there was this fire in their eyes that we're going to get the enemy. So that's the introduction of we need to now, as the body of Christ, as individuals, we need, we've been knocked down. How many of you have been knocked down recently? Some area of your life. And we've got to get back that eye of the tiger attitude. We're going to come back fighting harder than ever before to take back for ourselves, for our community, for our loved ones. So that's the whole idea of that. So, <clears throat> so it wasn't a Katy Perry song. <laughs> You're not going to see me singing. So um, <laughs> maybe karaoke. But uh, so the internet de definition is some someone who's focused and confident and has the look of being intense, somewhat cold, but very fierce, with a very with a never say die attitude. So life is not a straight line, as you can tell from this next slide. What people think it looks like compared to what it really looks like. If you've been around long enough, you realize life has its ups and downs. How many of you can agree with that? And there's seasons. So um, I feel the majority of us have kind of been going through a spiritual winter, and it's been going on for a while. And as you can tell... Um, Life does that to us. It will pick us up 
will beat us and then pick us up off the ground, beat us again, pick us up and beat us one more time. And some of us are like, I don't want to get up anymore. But the Bible says the righteous may fall seven times, but we'll get up again. So it's time for us to get back up and start fighting for what we want. So, because life, life is like this. If you don't do something with life, life will do something with you. We were born to thrive, not to, just to survive. God created us for a purpose, and it's up to us to pursue that purpose. So we've got to live our life with intention. How many of us just go through life? We just kind of think, how do we get you? I don't even know how I get there. How many of you watched Alice in Wonderland? So it depends on which version you've seen. This is uh, obviously she comes to the, the fork, you know, the four-way in the road, and she sees the Cheshire Cat and says, which way should I go? And the Cheshire Cat says, well, where do you want to go? And she goes, I'm not too sure, really. And then the cat says, well, it doesn't really matter which road you take. And a lot of us are like that. But as we come to God at crossroads, we've got to follow the path that he's put us on and not where someone else expects us to be. So we've got to ask him and go back to him, go back to the strong tower as we sang this morning and go, Lord, where do you want us? So there's a story about a farmer um, and a donkey and there was this, this massive hole and the donkey fell into the hole. And uh, he tried everything. He got ropes trying to pull the donkey out. And then he called his neighbors and the neighbors came and they all, you know, tried to get the donkey out. And eventually they said, it's, it's, it's not a really good thing. It's just, what we need to do is just leave the donkey. In fact, just bury it. So all the farmers got their shovels and they started throwing dirt down the hole, thinking they'll just bury the donkey alive. And uh, what they didn't know, the donkey was at the bottom. And what he was doing was, as the dirt hits his back, he just went, shake it off, step on it. You know where I'm going, aren't you? <laughs> and that's what we got to do. When life has picked us up, thrown us down, we've lost our fight, we've lost our loved ones, our marriage has failed. We've got to shake it off and step on it. So salvation is free, but destiny will cost you. We need to get a picture of our future from God's word in front of us on what our family should be like, what our life should be like, what our health should be like, what our finances should be like. And then we've got to realize that the price of our future is in our presence. So in other words, what we do today will impact what we do tomorrow. Whatever you've obtained in life or achieved in life, you've traded time to get that. Whatever you don't have in life, you haven't traded time for. So if you want friends, you're going to have to trade that time to work on those friendships. If you want money, we all have to trade time to get money. We have to go to work and trade our time to get money. Even to have a thin waist and biceps, you have to trade time for that. So we've got to make a choice in life. There's, there's always a pain at the end of, or, the, or should I say, um, and anyway, I'll get, get back onto that. I'm, I'm moving ahead of myself here. What we've got to realize is motivation will dwindle. But we need to have systems in place of habits that will create success. See, a nice motivational talk will get us there for 24 hours, and then it's, it's over. We need another pep talk. We need another motivational talk. But if you start creating a system where there's habits, habits of success, there's a great book called um, uh, by James Clear, Atomic Habits, and he talks about 1% marginal gains. So every day, just 1% better, and eventually you will see this escalation of how you will be better in a year's time. So I think it was uh, the um, Sky team.
that represented Britain in the um, Tour de France. They hadn't won a actual uh, any medals or any tournaments in a hundred years, and they hired this guy. I can't remember his name now to come in and turn it around. He said, I will get you to win a gold medal or to win the Tour de France in five years. And all he did was change slight, small little things to their habits. So like washing hands so that they didn't get infected. Testing out pillows, which helped them sleep better. So when on tour, they would take pillows with them, their pillows. They worked out their wheels on how to make them lighter and stronger and more aer aerodynamic. They would actually cover them at competitions so the other guys couldn't see them. I think they got... Uh, Red Bull involved, so how to make their bikes lighter and more uh, streamlined. All these tiny 1% marginal gains, not only did they win the Tour de France in five years, they did it in three. And then in the 2012 Olympics, they cleaned up about 70% of the gold medals. So we unfortunately think, like um, there's an example of how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. We see this thing in front of us and we think, I can't do that. But if we just chunk it down and go, I'm going to do one scripture a day. We all go sit on the throne at least once a day. Leave a book in there. And if you read two pages a day, it's going to eventually get there. You think, I can't be like Dylan and read the whole book. Remember he's told us he wanted to read the Bible in a year and it was November or something. And he had like four weeks left or something. So he did it, you know, staying up until two o'clock in the morning. We don't have to be like Dylan, okay? If you listen to this, I love you, bro. Um, we can do that, even if it takes us two years. We not, don't compare yourselves to other people. We've got to do what we can do. And it's 1% better every single day. So I'm going to read loads of scriptures here for you, so um, tighten your seatbelts. So John 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and life abundance. So when we see life throwing us all these rocks and whatever else, these arrows of accusation and taking everything from us, realize that's not from God. Okay, Ecclesiastes 3 says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heavens. Matthew 5 says, That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. See, bad things happen to good people. How many of you think that sucks? <laughs> you know what I mean? We have loved ones. I've had a load of loved ones that died young. And you think, why, Lord, they were good people? But as we can tell, the rain and the sun will fall on the good people and the bad people. That's just life. But it's how we respond to that and go, am I going to be defeated or am I going to dust ourselves off and step on it? So the next one is 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're in a war and there is no demilitarized zone. We are either for God or we're for the enemy. And we've got a real enemy, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Romans 8, verse 37, In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, Fight the good fight. I don't know about you, a good fight is the one we win. Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. The next verse says, Frame, uh, God framed the worlds with his word. Okay? If we are made in his image, shouldn't we be framing our world with our words? We've got to learn to watch our tongue. That's basically, a, if I'm honest, <laughs> a whole sermon on the power of the tongue. There's life and death in our tongue. And how much are we not, we, we, we don't watch our tongue. We say things in jest and joke, but then we go, oh, why is my life not working out? 
we've got to renew our mind and make sure that our, our God's word is in our mouth like a sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword. <clears throat> Romans 4 verse 17 says, I've made thee a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they are. It's so important. How often do we go, don't believe in pink elephants? Can I, can I ask you guys do that? Don't believe in pink elephants? What is the first thing you think of? A pink elephant. So we've got to speak those things that are not as though they are. So we don't go around, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, because we're kind of thinking, I am sick. So our family, we go, I've got a healing coming on. <laughs> I am the healed resisting sickness. So we know what we're saying in code, but we go, I've got a healing coming on. <laughs> so we've got to watch our word. We're not, we're not, we, poverty is a state, broke is temporary, okay? So if you're going through a tough time, and I don't mean that we need to walk around going, how are you doing, brother? Well, I'm good, brother. Hallelujah. Meantime, you've you know chopped your toe off mowing the lawn yesterday. We 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 got to be real as well. You know, don't you love that about TLC? It's like real, relational, and radical. Today was real, and we saw that wasn't performance, and we had a good laugh at Tim. <laughs> but that's family, because we're not there judging him. You know, there's no Simon Cowles going, Tim, that was a four, that was a five. Oh, you know, Ollie. Oh. <laughs> We're family, and we encourage each other. Yeah. Don't you love that about family? You see, the, in, in, this is not in, in my, even in my notes, but I feel some people need to hear this. Paul said to Timothy, there are too many teachers, not enough fathers. In the body of Christ today, there's too many teachers. They, they want to be the big shot, but don't have a father's heart. You see, a father doesn't get insecure and jealous of his children succeeding him or being better than him. See, my mother used to say to me, my, my ceiling must be your launching platform. And then you make sure your ceiling is your children's launching platform. And that's the mindset of a spiritual father. He wants to see all his children, spiritual children, to grow up, to be better than him. But too many people are so worried about their pulpit. I've got to be in the limelight. I've got to be the next whatever. But God is moving away from that because we are all in the army together and we all play a part. We are one body but many body parts. So... The glasses. I don't know if I need to get contact lenses. I think. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Smith Wigglesworth. You guys have probably read him. I love what he used to say. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I hear. I'm moved by the Word of God. We need to get to that place where we stand on God's Word and what it says, not by our circumstances or how we feel. You got to get the Word inside of you for when the trials and tribulations come. So back in the day, because I know I'm showing my age here, but <laughs> we had uh, something called an aerial on your roof. <laughs> Some of you guys know what, remember what that is? Yeah. You know, my kids are going, what's that? That, that was a satellite, Ezra, okay, for Sky. It wasn't an aerial. And your dad would send you up on the roof to get a good signal, and you'll be like leaning on the ladder. And you go, okay, there's it. You got it. And you're like, okay, I can't stay like this. <laughs> Always in the most awkward positions, the signal would come in. But that's like us. We've got to get to a place where we've tuned in to God. But sometimes it is. It's in that horrible place where you're like, why am I only hearing him now? It's because we were too distracted when we were having a good time. Sometimes you need to get desperate, and that's when you get silent, and that's when you can tune in and hear what he's actually saying. Because he'll speak to you. See, when he, if he can shout to you in the good times, he'll only need to whisper to you in the bad times. So we've got to learn to hear his voice. 
Um, I'm going to tell a story about this lady, Vilma Rudolph. She was born in 1940. She was 20 of 22 children. Okay, and at the age of four, she got double pneumonia and scarlet fever and eventually got polio. And the doctor said to her that she would never walk. So they, they tried everything. They got leg braces and stuff like that. But she didn't want to believe the report of the doctors. So sneakily, she would take the, the leg braces off and then go play with the kids outside. And she started to develop a love for running. And she would run for hours. And a coach, a local coach, said to her, oh, why don't you come try out for our local team? And um, she said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Not only did she make the, the team, she landed up winning the 1960s Rome Olympics, getting the fastest woman in the world to break um, world records, 100 meter, 200 meter, and she helped the 400 meter relay. So isn't that inspiring? So whatever your excuse is, there is no excuse. <laughs> so, see, Gouda says pain is temporary. And on the other side of your pain, you'll discover your new self. You get what I'm saying? We all go through pain, but it's how we approach that pain. We will come out a better person because that's the whole plan of God. If you're a, a caterpillar and you cut the caterpillar's cocoon open, it doesn't come out as beautiful because it has to go through that pain, that struggle to come out more beautiful. So you're the most qualified to help the person you once were. So whatever your problem was in the past, you can then use that to help other people instead of living there because your past doesn't equal your future. Amen. So we've got to remind ourselves of past victories. David was a shepherd boy. And when you know the, the prophet came and said, well, one of your children are going to be anointed. He's, even the father went, oh, I'm going to bring out my strong lads. I'm going to bring out all these guys. And there was none of them. And even the father went, oh, I've got another kid. He's a shepherd boy. Let him come in. And uh, he said, yeah, that's the one. So when other people see a shepherd boy, God saw a king. So when it came to a point, when it came to defeat Goliath, what did David do? He had to remind himself of his past victories. He went, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. This dude's nothing. So you, you, we've got to do that. I've gone through this and I've gone through this. This next challenge is nothing because God is for me and who can be against me? We've got to understand God in Deuteronomy says we are the head and not the tail. We are going to go over and not under. We are the top and not the bottom. God did not build his house inside of you to move away. He did not teach you how to swim to let you drown. He did not lift you up to let you down. And we've got to keep on reminding ourselves of those things. So, changing gears a little bit. There are four lessons from Bible characters that I'm going to read you. So, Lesson number one, hold on to hope and trust God in his wisdom in all situations. When it comes to suffering, who comes to mind? And don't say yourself, okay? Don't put up your own hand. Okay. And those of you who've got a horrible mother-in-law, don't put up your hand either. I'm joking. I love my mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> just edit that, okay? <clears throat> when it comes to <laughs> Job, we know it's Job, okay? And... Um, Think about it. He had everything anybody would want. He was like probably like Elon Musk rich, Bill Gates rich, and he had a wonderful family, more success, and overnight everything was lost. And even his own friends said, what did you do to God? Did you sin? Did you do that? Maybe cry to God. And, you know, he got to a point where he was so desperate to say, God, kill me before I sin against you. 
Uh, but eventually, over time, some scholars believe it was like a nine-month period, even though it probably felt like 10 years. God blessed him again. So he stayed faithful because we mustn't run from God. We must run to him. We must run into that strong tower, as we said this morning. When you're going through hell, don't stop. I know so many people over the years that when tough times come, they're out the church. Boom. You're like, why are you out of the church? When you, this is when you need him. Why is it when it's good you hear? You should be the other way around. I've never, never really thought. I can't get my head around that. When you're going through a tough time, this is when you should be pressing into God, coming into church, being around people who are going to encourage you. So that's the strategy of the enemy, to draw you away, to isolate you. So Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing life, whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having abundance or being in need. That's the attitude we should have. Whether you're rocking a Tesla or you've got an old banger, it doesn't matter. We need to get to that place where we're just humble, we're just teachable, and we just love the Lord no matter what's going on. Whether we're eating steak at fancy restaurants and flying first class, or we going to Aldi. Okay, that's the season we're in at the moment. Okay? <laughs> but we're humble in it. <laughs> so Paul, sorry, my bad. Nothing wrong with Aldi, okay? Sorry, don't knock Aldi, okay? So all these snobs at Waitrose. <laughs> I saw Will there. <laughs> Didn't he? <laughs> So Paul was thrown into prison and yet continued to worship God and preach the gospel and wrote the books that still impact us thousands of years later. Think about that attitude. There's a guy called Viktor Frankl. Anybody read his book, Man's Search for Meaning? Anybody read that? Okay. So he was an Austrian psychiatrist and um, he came up with logotherapy, a type of therapy for counselors and psychiatrists. And um, he was actually thrown into the concentration camps in Auschwitz. And uh, this is what he wrote in, in his book. Um, he describes those prisoners who gave up on life, who had lost all hope for a future, and when, were inevitably the first to die. They died less from the lack of food and medicine, but rather from the lack of hope and something to live for. By contrast, Frankel kept himself alive and kept hope alive by summoning up thoughts of his wife and the prospects of seeing her again. By dreaming at one point of lecturing after the war about his psychological lessons he gained during that time. That's, an, that's a, a mindset to have. I don't know if I could do it, I'll be honest. But you don't know until you're in it. Now, this is horrible, so turn away. This next slide. This, is an, a, a, this was a br brutal study in the 1950s by Dr. Kurt Richer. <laughs> okay. Not less. Okay, I changed it. My wife made me change it. I remember now. <laughs> it's very brutal. <laughs> the actual slide, the actual slide were rats in a jar and go and there'll be kids there, you can't show that. So I'm like, why not? Um, so anyway, they, this, this study, they actually took domesticated rats and wild rats and they put them in water to see how long they would last. And funny enough, the wild rats only lasted for 15 minutes while the domesticated rats lasted much longer. So what they did was, and they were the same breed of rats, and what they did was they took the domesticated rats, put them in again, new, new ones because the other ones died. They then, right before they were giving up life, they actually took them out, dried them, and left them rest. 
then put them back in. How long do you think they lasted this time around? Considering the, the, the first time was 15 minutes. 40 to 60 hours. Because they believed it wasn't physical exhaustion, it was mental. And these rats now believed that they would be rescued. They had what? Hope. Most of the time, it's our mental thing that gives up way before our body. You speak to ultra marathons runners. That's, I always find this interesting. This is my own personal study. When you look at these ultra, in South Africa, we have the Comrades Marathon, which is like two marathons back to back. And besides being off your head, I don't know why you would do that, <laughs> but that's something Brad would probably do. He likes running. He has, yeah, yeah, I told you, you have to be off your rocket. Um, you know, myself and Gareth will stick to the gym. I know Brad thinks that's torture. Comrades Marathon is torture. Uh, we'll, we'll stick to the gym. That's like 45 minutes an hour and you out. <laughs> so, um, but you speak to these guys and all of them, they're just, just so mental. When I was in the army, I was in the army and uh, the, they came to ask for guys who wanted to join the special forces and all these big rugby players would be like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. And then the quiet, small, skinny guy would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, back then you're like 18 and you're like, he's not going to make it. Two weeks later, the big muscle guys, the big rugby guys were back. Where, where's that little guy, the quiet guy? No, no, he, he made it. And it's often because when I speak to them, okay, a friend of mine just made the special forces in, in Britain. And again, quiet guy doesn't say anything. You, you wouldn't notice him if he walked in as a big guy, but he just made it. And he actually um, graduated top of his class. And he's just got that mental toughness. And that's what we've got to get. We've got to get a spiritual resilience for what, what, what's coming in. Because we're living in the last days, let's be honest. Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. And it's not going to get any better. So we, we, we've got to be preparing ourselves. I don't know where you all sit with eschatology. You know, pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, no-trip. Uh, you know, which, whichever one you're at, I think I'm just waiting. I'm not, I don't wait at the bus stop. I believe when Jesus comes, I'll go. Well, I do believe in pre-trip, so I'll be explaining it to you on the way up, okay? And... Um, but, but I'm saying that is I'd rather, r rather prepare myself to go through the tribulation than go, oh, we'll be rescued and not. I'm not saying I'm a prepper, but uh, I'll show you my bunker later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll have a, I'll have a discussion with Ash's dad later. He, we can discuss eschatology. <laughs> so... So how did you, that, that um, experiment with the rest was quite interesting, wasn't it? So, uh, where we go? So the second part, the second lesson is hold steadfast to your faith, even when you think you've lost it. In Matthew 16, Peter had received the revelation of who Jesus was. Matthew 26, he denies Jesus three times. Okay, so he, and then we go to Mark 16, verse 6, and Jesus says to, um, to the people there, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not there. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell the disciples, especially Peter. So when Peter must have felt awful, because if you think about it, Peter was like this radical guy chopping people's ears off and, and things like that. I'll never deny you, Jesus. And then he denies Jesus three times. He must have gone into such depression going, ah, oh, I messed up. I'm never going to see him again. I wish I could say I'm sorry. I wish I could do it all over again. But that's why Jesus said, tell the disciples, especially Peter. 
because Peter was just as important as the other disciples. So if you've messed up today and gone, I've, I, should, I had an opportunity to witness, but I didn't. And the Bible says, you know, we use scripture against ourselves. If we deny him in front of man, he'll deny us before the Father. Have I messed up that badly? Don't worry, he'll give you a second chance. Just don't do it a second time, okay? <laughs> so, um, Elijah. I mean, one of the greatest guys. I love reading, uh, going through Elijah. I just actually finished a, um, a series with Mark Driscoll on Elijah and um, Jezebel and Ahab. Anyone listen to that? Highly recommend it. And um, if you look at Elijah, he went from getting the ravens feeding him to uh, calling fire down to challenge the Baal worshippers, and you name it. He was like a radical, radical dude. And then he finds out Jezebel wants to kill him, and then he runs away. And he literally has like a mental breakdown. But yet God still went to him and comforted him and go, you haven't messed up so badly. And he comes back to, to God. Okay. So you're, and then number three, we're going, we're going through a, a right on time there. So number three, your past doesn't equal your future. Paul, who was once Saul, was an evil man who persecuted and terrorized the church and the saints. After approving Stephen's murder, he then carried on going door to door, trying to find believers that he could throw him to prison. That's how evil he was. But then what happened? We know the rest of the story. He then becomes one of the, the greatest men for God. And he writes three, you know, three-thirds of the New Testament. See, because God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Number four, failure is not final. We are raised and educated and brainwashed by the school system. Is Failure is bad. Failure is final. Never fail. But if you speak to entrepreneurs and billionaires, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. We've got to, get it out. We've got to reset our brains and our belief systems to, to not worry about failure. So Michaela, like I said, Michaela um, lost her first fight, and she was, she was gutted. But afterwards, um, we, we met Greg Rutherford. I, I, I thought I had a photo, but I didn't put it on there. Um, and my girls got to meet them, or meet him, should I say. Anyone know? You guys know Greg Rutherford. He's a local Olympic, Olympic gold medalist in the long jump. And um, he said, well, how did you do? And Michaela was like, oh, I got bronze. And he went, no, no, no. You learn more from your failures than you do, or your losses than you do from your wins. Because we take the losses and we analyze them. And we go, what did we do wrong? How could I do better than we do our wins? So the wins we just celebrate. And I thought it was good advice for her because then she went back and said, okay, I did this wrong, I did that wrong. But I'll take it one step further. Why can't we learn from our wins as well? Because then we continue to do those things. And I'll take it one step further. Why don't we learn from other people's wins? Why do we always have to learn from our own mistakes? Learn from other people's mistakes and learn from other people's wins. What did you do to get a successful marriage? Or, horribly enough, why do you think your marriage went wrong? And then we can learn from that and learn from other people's mistakes. No use reinventing the wheel. We can learn from other people. And that's what family's about. You know, those, the people that have maybe walked the walk wrong before us. See, a great leader, uh, I said, if you're a leader, no one's following, you're just out for a walk. But you can't follow somebody that's not going where you want to go or hasn't been where you want to be. So we've got to find people around us, wherever they are, and go learn from them. Pick their brains and go, I'm struggling in this area. But it takes humility. We've got to stay humble and stay teachable no matter how long we've been saved. 
So number four, uh, yeah, so I'm carrying on there. The harsh truth is that we cannot be successful in everything that we do. Failure is part of life and can, cannot be avoided at any cost. Zig Ziglar said, it's not how far you fall, it's how high you bounce that counts. The one who falls gets up is stronger than the one who's never tried. You naturally become internally stronger and build a character. It changes your whole perspective. You start to reach your full potential and then you learn to work harder and smarter naturally. Now, um, there's a guy in the Bible called John Mark, and his family was quite important. He was, a, some believe, he was the nephew of Barnabas. And when Paul came out of prison, he knew that the disciples and them would be with, at John Mark's house. So when him and Barnabas go on one of their mission trips, I think it was to Antioch, they said, well, bring, bring John Mark with. And then they went on the mission trip, and then they were going to go to Cyprus, and eventually John Mark went, mm, this is a bit rough for me, and he goes, I'm going back. And it actually caused uh, Paul and, and Barnabas to divide because Barnabas said, well, let's go get John Mark. Let's go help John Mark. And Paul was like, no, no, not interested. So they actually went part, parted ways. And later on in, uh, in, in, in the Bible, it actually says, um, we don't know why, they, why John abandoned them, but we do know it wasn't honorable. When Barnabas later suggests to Paul that they get John Mark, Paul refuses. Many years later, when Paul is sitting in prison awaiting trial, he actually writes a letter and he actually says to the Colossians, he not only tells them that John Mark is with him, but he is a great comfort. He also tells them that they, were, they must welcome him when he comes to them. This kid had, saw, had really disappointed Paul in the beginning, but now he had become and grown into a man who brought him comfort. And at one time, John Mark was a personality that divided the body. But now Paul is proudly calling him a fellow worker. See, the, the story there is we all develop gradually and at different times. Failure isn't always a sign that we can't cut it. Sometimes we are trying to operate at a level that we're not really mature enough yet. We can always outgrow those kinds of failings and provide that we don't give up and we carry on trying. So those are the, the four lessons that we've learned there. And, that, and the bottom line is, is just don't give up hope. We've got to get back into the eye of the tiger and to fight for what we want, what's important to us. With that loved one that still hasn't given up that addiction, that loved one that still hasn't come back to God. Um, the worship team can come up and then I'm going to finish with this. So if, you today, if you're here today and you fit into one of these categories, number one, Hold on to your hope and trust God and his wisdom in all situations. So no matter what, if you're there and you're in a dire situation and you need hope and wisdom, we're going to allow you to come and we're going to come up front and we can pray for you. Number two, hold steadfast to your faith even when you think it's lost. If you feel like you're losing faith, you've lost your way and you're questioning it, don't give up hope. We can pray for you. And then you, again, if you're here today and it's your first time and you've never given your life to the Lord, again, I'm going to say your past doesn't equal your future. There's nothing bad enough that can make God stop loving you or start, uh, not love you. And there's nothing you can do bad enough to make him stop loving you. And number four is failure is not final. So if you want more boldness to come and go, Lord, I want to be more bold than ever before. That's you while we're praying or when, while we're doing a song. You can come up, and then there's a team that's serving, a ministry team that's serving. We'll come and pray for you.